In our Old Testament reading, God says that he'll destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the place where Abraham's nephew Lot lives. So obviously, Abraham grows concerned. He prays, and he doesn't pull any of his, his punches. He, he just goes straight for the, I mean, he says, so suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Let's play the hypothetical game. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Very strong language in prayer we're hearing from Abraham. And God says, okay, if I find 50 righteous there, I won't destroy the city. So Abraham says, uh, what about 45? And at this point, we're kind of thinking, Abraham, you're pushing your luck. You know, you've already gotten quite, but God says, okay, 45. And on it goes. And if you didn't, you know, get a little bit giggly during that whole exercise of haggling with God, um, it goes 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, soul. Abraham's satisfied with 10. God doesn't seem angry about it. Everyone goes home happy. And we're all sitting here going, what on earth just happened? I mean, what was this whole interaction of Abraham haggling with God? Believe it or not, it's a model for us of prayer. And that may seem strange to say, but you might have begun to pick up on that connection when you heard the gospel lesson. Jesus tells us a story. Uh, there's a, a host who lives in a house, and there's a visitor who arrives in his, the host town in midnight. Um, and now in Jesus' day... Uh, the person who receives the visitor is absolutely expected to welcome them no matter what hour they arrive. Remember, traveling was a dangerous and very stressful affair. They're supposed to welcome them. They're supposed to offer them, you know, three loaves of bread, which we're not talking about like Sarah Lee loaves. We're talking about, you know, little yeast rolls or something. Three loaves of bread. That's the expectation. That's the norm. If the host failed to do this, he would not only bring shame upon himself, but he would bring shame upon the whole town. And so... The host is obviously very concerned. He doesn't have food to offer this guy. This is, this is a disaster. This is a serious matter. Um, that doesn't come across to us because none of us has probably ever gone around at midnight asking our neighbors for a cup of sugar or an egg. Um, but, you know, you can, you can kind of get into the mind of the listener by uh, imagining that a neighbor needs to be rushed to the emergency room. You know, if they came to you, they had a serious emergency. They came to you, they needed to go to the emergency room. What kind of a neighbor would you be? What kind of a friend would you be if you said, I've already locked up for the night, I'm in my pajamas, you know, I've got my slippers on, my kids are asleep, I don't want to wake them up. You know, if you were to make those kinds of excuses when your neighbor has a serious, um, serious issue. That's the kind of situation we have here. The host goes to his neighbor in dire need, and Jesus says, look, even if his neighbor's a jerk, I mean, even if he cares nothing about the hospitality expectations and the reputation of the town and uh, the reputation of his, his neighbor and all of this, even if he doesn't care about any of that, he's going to get up and give the host what he asks for. Why? Because of the host's impudence, we're told. Jesus says, because of the host's impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence is one of those words that I know I'd heard before. But if you'd have asked me exactly what it meant, I probably would have stumbled around and made something up, you know? Um, it's, it's not a word that we use a whole lot, but it's a word that means immodest, undignified, brazen, audacious. My favorite, shameless. Impudent means shameless. 
So it means that this man would have stopped for nothing. He would have kept this guy up for hours and hours until he got those three yeast rolls. That's how committed this host was. It was his impudence that would convince this unfriendly friend to give him what he needed. Usually, shameless is a word we would apply to a negative situation. It's, a, it's not a nice thing. You know, if you're calling someone shameless, you're not usually giving them a compliment. But here, Jesus says that this is what our prayer should look like. Shameless. Audacious. Brazen. Undignified. He goes on. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our model for prayer? A haggling Abraham with God. A desperate host who will stop at nothing. Shameless Abraham and a shameless host. What would it even mean to pray shamelessly? What would that even look like? There are two qualities that Jesus points towards in this passage and that the scriptures as a whole point towards in our prayer. First of all, praying shamelessly means praying boldly. Boldness in prayer. The boldness that we've already pointed out doesn't come from the merit of the one asking, so I'm not being bold because I think I'm so great and I, you know, I'm worthy to ask for what I'm asking for. But it comes from the character and the work of God. God receives our prayers. God mediates our prayers. And in fact, God is the one who enables and encourages and strengthens our prayers in the first place. And who receives our prayers? The Father. So we're not making a request to a stern judge. We're not submitting a form to the distant approval of some distant organization. We're approaching the one who Jesus taught us to call Father. The Father receives our prayers. The Son mediates our prayers. Christ submits our prayers to the Father. So we're not, we're not praying to Him alone. We're, we're praying to Him with Christ Himself in the middle of it all. Christ, our great high priest, who brings our prayers, our cares, our troubles, our requests to God and lays them at His feet. Christ, our advocate, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We pray through His merit and mediation. Paul said in our reading from Colossians today, St. Paul says, For in Christ... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Having been buried with him in baptism, you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The Father receives our prayers, the Son mediates our prayers, and this is a piece we often forget. It is the Spirit who empowers and enables our prayers. So when we come before God in prayer, it didn't start with us. It wasn't our good idea. It started with the work of the Spirit moving us to that moment and empowering us to pray in the first place. The Holy Spirit prays in us. He prays through us. Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So that is the source of our boldness, that God the Father receives our prayers, 
God the Son uh, mediates our prayers. And God the Holy Spirit is the one who is praying in us and through us, empowering, strengthening, and guiding our prayers. It's not our merit or even our ability to pray, both of which would be not so much shamelessness, but arrogance. But shameless prayer means that it's, it's not on the basis of our merits that we pray boldly. We pray boldly because it is God's work for us, in us, and through us that matters. This is also our reason for persistence, which is that second quality that we see in shameless prayer. Boldness and persistence. Shameless prayer asks and keeps on asking. Now, right from the outset, I need to say what I'm not saying. So what I'm not saying is, if we don't get what we ask for, we're just not trying hard enough. Or we just somehow don't have enough faith. I'm not saying if we keep asking for a particular thing, and if we ask in just such a way and just often enough, that God will give us that particular thing that we're asking for. I'm not going to say that. After all, even with these unblushing promises about giving us everything we want, everything we desire, that the one who asks will receive, the one who knocks will find, uh, even, even the one who seeks will find, the one who knocks will have the door open to him. Even with all of those unblushing promises, we have a bit of a, a twist at the end of the passage. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So I'm not saying that we'll, we'll get whatever we want, that this is some kind of magical incantation or method to twist the arm of God. What I am saying is that God continually bids us to keep coming back to him in prayer over and over and over again. To keep asking him for those things we need day after day after day. It's not an accident that half of the Lord's prayer is daily petition. Give us bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us and guide us not into temptation. God wants us to keep coming back to him in prayer, to keep asking him for those things that we need day after day after day, because that's part of how we remember how very dependent upon him we really are. How very much we need him. So often these things come to us and we take them, we receive them as if they're somehow earned by us or deserved by us, or as if they're just sort of gifts from the vast void that have dropped into our laps. But it is God who gives his good gifts to us, and it is God that we need day after day after day for our provision, for our protection, and for life. And in the course of our asking him for all the little things we need day after day, what we will usually come to realize is that the things we are asking for are not too big, but are too small. What I mean by that is something Lewis was pointing towards in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He said, uh, C.S. Lewis, he said, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are far too easily pleased. In other words, God does not always say yes to what we ask for. Sometimes he says not yet. Other times, and I find very often, he says, not this, but something better. In the course of praying persistently, we find that our hearts are challenged, our desires are changed, and our prayers are transformed, and our, our, our petitions themselves are actually reshaped. We begin praying for health. We might learn to pray for perseverance. We begin with God uh, praying for God to change someone else's heart we might conclude that it is our own hearts that need changing. 
We may have been praying for God's blessing in particular earthly ways, but end up receiving the most important things, His presence, His attention, His love, His Holy Spirit to continue leading and guiding us and shaping us to reflect His will more and more. And this, Jesus assures us, is always given to us when we pray. Our example of prayer this morning, Abraham, we know how that story of Sodom and Gomorrah went. You can sit there and wonder, what if Abraham had gotten God down to five or, you know, one? But uh, the fact is, he didn't. And Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because there weren't ten righteous in the city. But that experience between Abraham and God meant much more than just that question. It meant that God was attentive to him and responsive to him. That God was present with him. That God loved him. And that judgment is never apart from God's mercy. So shameless praying is bold and persistent. And ultimately what I'm getting at is this. Shameless praying is simply praying with childlike faith. Probably the most shameless among us are those who have not yet reached the ages of, I don't know, 5, 7, 10, 16. It seems like a new level of shame comes with each of those ages. I don't know. But, uh, but the most shameless among us are children. right? Children who have no doubt as to their vast and endless set of needs. Children who have no uh, uh, hesitation in asking for what they need, particularly from their parents. In the first verses of our gospel reading, Jesus tells the disciples when they pray to call God Father. In the last verse of our gospel reading, Jesus concludes with this simple question. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? To pray in the way our Lord describes is simply to pray with a childlike faith. A child is bold because they know that they are their father's child. And they do not base their requests on their own merit, but on the love and faithfulness of their parent. A child is persistent because, well, I mean, first of all, they can't help it. They're kids, right? They ask for the same thing over and over ten times until something happens that stops them from asking. Um, They can't help it. Children are relentlessly honest. And that also is a quality of of children that I think is a blessing to us. They're relentlessly honest. And that's part of their childlike persistence is that they can't and won't hide the contents of their hearts. What they desire is right out there for you to see. But it's also because uh, in their persistence, they know that eventually they will get an answer. It will not always be the answer they like. But... Eventually, trust is built. They realize that it's the answer they need. There was a man who knew something about shameless prayer because he knew something about childlike faith. I don't know if you've heard of the man George Mueller. He lived in the 19th century um, in uh, uh, Bristol in England. And at the beginning of his ministry, there were only accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England not counting the 7,000 children under 8 years old who were locked up in prison. So it was not a good situation to be an orphan in England. George Mueller uh, dedicated his life to building uh, five orphanages, which over the course of his lifetime took in over 10,000 orphans, and uh, many tens of thousands more after his death, and also he built 100 schools to educate the children that he was rescuing from the streets of, of Bristol. And you can imagine how much, I mean, those of us who have raised children, you can imagine after raising one to 
I don't know where to set the upper limit. I was in a big family. One to ten children, let's say. Um, raising one to ten children and, and knowing the cost of that to house and to feed those children. You can imagine what 10,000 children would have cost. To feed them, to house them, to educate them. But Mueller wanted the whole operation to be a sort of experiment. He resolved early on never to ask anyone for money. Instead, when they had a need, he would pray and the money would come. And by praying, he raised the equivalent of millions of dollars. Never took out a loan, never went into debt. He and the orphans never went hungry, and he never asked for a penny. He just prayed. Now, his experience is an extraordinary one, and most of us will never experience either the depth of that kind of faith um, or the great provision uh, that Mueller experienced. But we will experience it in other ways. And it is his heart that I want us to see and to imitate. In one of his writings, he issued this appeal to pray shamelessly. He said, everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with all his heart, to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brethren in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. Brothers and sisters, God is our Father. You are His children. My encouragement to you is to ask for everything you need to cast all your cares upon him in prayer, persistently, boldly, shamelessly, and knowing this, that God is truly more ready to hear us than we are to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.